0: Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks Downloadable Messages and Podcast. Well, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? Great. Good, good. Awesome. Good to see you. <laughs> Got the waves going and everything. Yeah. Good to see you. Yeah. My name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at Church of Rocky Peak and just glad you're here, especially if you're here for the very first time. Welcome. We're going to be going into our time of teaching right now, and inside your program is a white message note sheet we use every, t- every week for that, so if you're new, you'll definitely want to pull that out, and, uh, and then we're going to jump on and You all ready to go? Yeah. Okay, let's go. Father, we're so thankful for what you're doing here at our church, the way you're leading, guiding, shaping, molding, teaching, leading us what it means to be a, a passionate Christ follower. And God, it's today we come to the, the very final message of this series on generosity, we pray you'd speak in a profound way, changing our paradigm of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today, the, the year is about 30 A.D. Uh, the movement of Jesus has just kicked off. The place is Jerusalem. And we're not sure exactly how long he's lived there or when he's moved there. Uh, what we do know is he didn't grow up there. He grew up on an island out in the Mediterranean Sea about 250 miles away. We know a little bit about his family. He grew up in a Jewish home. In fact, he was actually, uh, he was born into the tribe of Levi, which is, was kind of the priestly tribe, the, the tribe that all the temple workers would, would come out of. But at some point in his life, he had migrated to Jerusalem, and now, now he lives there. And so he's there as the movement of Jesus gets started and, and kicks off, and he becomes an early convert. He's one of the first First people decide, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, and from the moment he does, his life begins to change radically, as as Jesus does when he comes into our life, he begins to change us, right? And so his life begins to change, and little does he know that he's destined to become one of the great leaders of this early movement, not only in Jerusalem, but as the movement of Jesus moves out into the Roman world. But uh, one of the things that God begins to do in his life right away is he begins to to move him and touch his heart in the area of generosity. He he begins to create a heart for the poor in this man. And so the first time he comes on our radar is really because of a very generous act that that he gives, kind of a a major gift that he makes uh, financially. Well, today we're, uh, we're continuing this series. We're actually bringing it to an end. It's, it's called The Journey of Generosity. It's, it's a, we've been in it most of the summer. Uh, it, it's a, a series on becoming like Jesus in the area of generosity. And, uh, and what a journey it's been. Huh? What a summer it's been. Uh, just kind of crazy uh, what, what, what's happened. You know, I was thinking about it this week. It was just uh, about two and a half uh, months ago on a Monday afternoon, that Rob walks into my office and, and begins to unpack this. We've got a major crisis on, on our hands. And, and he shares that this, you know, this bank that we've, we've loved, they've loved us for over 10 years. He's been so supportive that without any, without any warning, they're suddenly pulling our line of credit, which is leading to the, the, the biggest kind of major financial crisis in the history of this, this church. And so uh, from that point on, God has led us, and God has met us, and he led us in this series. And, and so this summer, we, we've spent time talking about what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in this area of, of generosity. And God has met us in a powerful way, hasn't he? He's met us as a church. Uh, He's shaped our hearts. He's taught us how to follow him, how to surrender all that we are and all that we have to him. Uh, to learn to come under his leadership and and he's changed us from the inside out and he's prepared us for our future. Now, if you've been here the last uh, couple weeks that I've been teaching, the end part of this series, we've been focusing on generosity to the poor. And one of the things that we've learned is that if we're going to follow Jesus in this area that for most of us, myself included, we're going to need a whole new paradigm of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And what we've been doing is we've taken some time just to go through the Bible, the Old Testament, the life and teaching of Jesus to see what what does the Bible teach about this. And what we've seen is that God's vision from the beginning has always been the same that his vision for our lives is that we would love him passionately and that we would love people compassionately and that, that this one of the ways this love is expressed is in generosity to the poor. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, we took a week and we looked at how God wove the theme of generosity into the heart of his people in the Old Testament. And then we took a week the next week and we looked at how it, Jesus taught about this, his life and teaching of Jesus and, and how he taught and modeled this. Well, today we come to the final message, and we want to do kind of what we've done those other two weeks is we want to spend one more week on this topic. We want to look and see what God revealed to the early church, the movement of Jesus, about this topic of generosity to the poor. And so what we're going to do today is kind of basically what we've done the, the previous couple weeks that I've been here. We're going to do a Bible study, right, in the New Testament. And then I'm going to end up with a couple of challenges, personal life challenges, should you choose to accept them. right? So uh, if you've got your Bible, so there in your note sheet you have a section Called the journey of, uh, called the early church, a culture of generosity. We're going to start in Acts chapter 2. Now, if you're new at this whole Jesus thing, you're just kind of checking out Jesus and Christianity, and and you're just kind of new at this, let me just give you a little bit of background to Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts was written by a man named Luke. And it's an account of the life of the early church. And so Jesus leaves planet Earth, um, and, about a, and he tells his men, his followers, he says, um, hey, I want you to, to stay in Jerusalem until the gift of the Holy Spirit comes. And they don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but, but they go back to Jerusalem. And about a week later, uh, the Holy Spirit comes on the early church. And so it comes on the day of Pentecost. So Pentecost was one of the the major feasts in Judaism. People from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast, and on that particular day, which comes 50 days, after the Passover, all right? So it's about a month and a half after the resurrection of Jesus. So he was there for 40 days with them, and then he leaves, so it's about a week after that. That's so the 50th day on the Feast of Pentecost. They're there gathered, they're praying, and the Holy Spirit comes. And Peter gets up, and he gives a message that day. He shares uh, the message of the movement of Jesus with Jerusalem, It's a crowd in Jerusalem, and 3,000 people come to Christ. So on that day, the church of Jesus in Jerusalem goes from about 100 people to a little over 3,000 people, all right? And so he he shares this message. And one of the things you see is God begins to move. It's one of the first things that happens when the Holy Spirit comes is he begins to unleash what I like to call a culture of generosity in this new movement of Jesus, all right? So so let's pick it up at at chapter 2 and verse 41. What we're going to find is in the opening chapters of Acts, Luke, who writes this uh, two or three times, he's going to give us a snapshot kind of an overview of what life was like in the early church. What was it like to be there? You know, it's going to give us a window into that, that period in the life of the church. So uh, chapter 2 and verse 41 says, um, so those who accepted his message, talking about Peter's message, were baptized. And, and so this is the first step of following Jesus, isn't it? Like, like once we, we make the decision that I'm going to follow Jesus, the, the first step is to follow in baptism. And this is what you see all through the New Testament. And just a little sidebar here, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you haven't been baptized, this is something you need to do. Uh, you see this all through the New, New Testament. And fortunately for you, we have a baptism next week, so you're in good shape. All right. So here we go. Uh, so those who accepted his message and were serious about Jesus proved it by being baptized. And about 3,000, just, just saying, just saying, it's, it's in the Greek, and... Uh, At about 3,000 were added to the number that day. So the church goes from 120 or whatever it is, about 100 people, to over 3,000. And so now these new believers, they're brand new Christ followers, and so they're gonna begin to devote themselves to four things. They're, They're gonna get passionate about four things in their life. So 42, they devoted themselves, they got passion, then the first thing was to the apostles' teaching. Now this is important. Remember about a week before, Jesus had ascended into heaven. And before he leaves, he gives them their final marching orders for the new movement. And he says, I want you to go into all the earth, and I want you to share my message, and I want you to make disciples, followers of all nations. And I want you to teach them to what? Good. One person. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah, I've been here five years, and one person knows the Bible. Very good. Uh, no, okay, teach them to what? To, teach them. To what? Obey. Teach them to what? Obey. obey. So Jesus says, go into all the world, tell people who I am, tell them what I've done, and then teach them how to obey. O- obey. Okay, so he, he's, he doesn't tell them, teach them to get a lot of Bible knowledge in your head, right? He says, teach them to Obey. And so so these early Christ followers, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because the apostles were the designated teachers of the church. They are the ones that Jesus said, "You know me, you've been with me for 3 years. My Holy Spirit's going to lead you. I want you to, to teach the movement," right? You're the authoritative teachers of the movement. So they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they learn how to obey, obey right? So here at every weekend we gather because we're gathering to learn how to Obey because that's what we're doing. This is the apostles' teaching, isn't it? Like we don't, we don't gather to get our cards punched, right? We don't get gathered to get brownie points. We don't gather to fill our heads with knowledge that we never use. We gather to obey. O- obey. So that's why we call ourselves Christ followers, right? Because we're in the business of following, right? That's why, that's why we gather, right? So this is the first thing they did. So they, they, the first thing they devote themselves is to the apostles' teaching. And the second thing they devote themselves to is the fellowship. There's this whole new movement. There's this new community of believers. And they're spending a lot of time together, hanging out, all right? And, and so that's why we do our life groups. This is how we do it here. And then they, they, they devote themselves to the breaking of bread. Those of you who grew up in church, you probably went to a lot of potlucks. Uh, this is the biblical basis for that. Uh, so... They, they devote themselves, so, so what he shares as you go on this passage, they spend a lot of time just sharing meals together, you know, going to Baja Fresh or whatever. They're just, they're, just uh, they're hanging out, they're sharing meals. This breaking of bread may refer also to the sharing of communion, right? And then the fourth thing they're devoted themselves to is prayer. They spend a lot of time just kind of seeking God in prayer. And so you get this new community that's being unleashed, and the Holy Spirit's working. And so in verse 43, everyone's filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous Signs are done by the apostles. And so so God is supernaturally doing miracles that are authenticating this new movement, saying, This is from me. And so and so next though we find out that one of the things that happens when the Holy Spirit comes is he unleashes this culture of generosity. And so he says, Here we go. This is all the believers. They were together and they had everything in common. Kind of what's mine is yours. And they're selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And we'll learn more about that later. And so, so, so what, one of the things that happens when the Holy Spirit begins to move on a group of people is that he releases this culture of generosity. Now it's interesting, we don't know if the apostles were teaching this or whether the Holy Spirit just spontaneously is leading this. But what I want you to catch here is there's a sharing going on, isn't there? There's a sharing going on. and Now, now we see this all the time uh, at Rocky Peak, especially in our life groups, don't we? A lot of you in life groups are this. Someone's out of work. uh, Groceries are provided or you you get kicked out of your home or you lose your home. You come and live with us or whatever. This is the church of Jesus. This is what we're supposed to do, right? And this is something that that I believe that God wants to unleash even more here in our church, this culture of generosity. But what you see is it's starting. The Holy Spirit's leading in this way. Now, Uh, The second snapshot Luke gives us in Acts is in chapter 4. So let's go there. And he tells us a little bit more about this movement. 4.32. So here's our second snapshot. All the believers were one in heart and mind. So everyone's getting along. And no one claimed that any of his possessions were his own. But they shared everything they had. And so verse 34. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, catch up, from time to time, it wasn't, it wasn't like they all came to Christ and they all pooled their stuff right away, but as, as, as needs arose, God would lead, they would like sell something to give to the poor that, that, that was needed. So there was no needy persons among them, 34, but from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them. They sold their real estate, and then once the money cleared escrow, they brought the money from the sales, and they put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need, okay? And so you get the picture of this. Early church, God's moving, culture, generosity, even to the extent that, that many people would be led to, that when, that when there's a need, that they, they would go ahead and they would sell their property. They would sell their extra land, they would sell their home or whatever, and they would give that money to the leadership who would distribute it to the poor. Okay? Are, are you with me? Are you following this? Now, next thing is, Luke wants to give us an example, a case study of just one guy. You know, many people were doing this, but just a case study of one guy who, who did this well. His name is a guy named Joseph. And he's the guy that we started the story, the, 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 the story we started the day with. Uh, he, he was, uh, Joseph was not from Jerusalem. He was born on the island of Cyprus, which is about 250 miles away. We, we know he was born into a Jewish family. He was from the tribe of Levi, uh, which is the priestly tribe, the tribe the temple workers would come out of. And, and for some reason, at some point in his life, he migrated to Jerusalem, apparently he's living there as the movement of Jesus is getting unleashed. And and so early on, he buys in. Now, one thing he doesn't know when he becomes a Christian is he's destined to become one of the leaders of the movement of Jesus, not not only in Jerusalem, but around the world. And so what happens in his life is that when the apostle Paul becomes a Christian uh, and converts to Christianity... Uh, it's it's Barnabas that becomes one of his closest friends, befriends him, reaches out to him, and actually introduces him to the church leadership back in Jerusalem because they're all scared to death of him. This is a guy who's been killing Christians, and now he's claiming to become a Christian. Like yeah, right. And so we you know so he they're they're afraid he's going to infiltrate the movement, take names, and then have them all arrested. And so Barnabas says, No, I was with him. Uh, I, w- I, w- I was with him in in, uh, in, in uh, 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 when he became a Christian. He He suffered for the cause of Christ. Uh, It's the real deal. And so he kind of vets him. And he, he kind of vouches for him and says it's the real deal. And so he introduces him to the leaders of Jerusalem. Years later... Uh, Barnabas calls Paul and says, Hey, there's a bunch of new believers in the city of Antioch. I could use your help. And so so Paul travels to Antioch to help help Barnabas disciple new Christians. And then they become leaders of the church of Antioch. And in Acts chapter 13, God calls Paul and Barnabas to go out on their first, what we call their missionary journey, to take the message and movement of Jesus out into the Roman world, which is one of the most strategic moments in all of church history. And and so Barnabas is destined to become one of the the great leaders of the early church, but we don't know that yet because we're just back in Acts 4, but 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 Luke, the author, wants to introduce him here, and he's going to introduce him as an example of generosity, that this man who's destined to be a great leader, one of the first ways you see God working in his life is his heart for the poor. And so in chapter 4, in verse 36, it says, Joseph, who's a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. So they gave him a new, nick, a new nickname. And uh, you've you probably had friends who do that, right? They give you a new nickname. You may like it or not. I'm not sure how he felt about Barney. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but it, it's a cool meaning. It means the son of encouragement. He's just a really encouraging guy. And so, so he sells a field he owned. We don't know if the field is in Jerusalem or in Back in Cyprus, where he grew up, but he sells a field and he brings the money and he puts it at the apostles' feet. All right, so here's an example of what's going on in the early church. You got the early church, the Holy Spirit comes, and God begins to unleash this tremendous love for one another and and this culture of generosity. And so what's mine is yours, even to the extent of selling real estate and property to help fund the poor within the movement. Okay, are you with me? So, So that's early church. Now, Here's what happens from this point on. As the early church grows and expands, it leaves Jerusalem, begins to expand out in the Roman world. What we don't see is we don't see this communal style of living moving out into the early church. Like like you don't see this in the church at Ephesus or Corinth or Athens or the different places where the church gets started. But what you do see is this culture of generosity pervading the whole movement of Jesus. And what I want to do in the time we have, I want to give you three examples of this, all right? Three examples from the New Testament that are windows into the life of the early church. What was it like to be there? And so one's from Paul, one's from John, one's from James. So the one from Paul is in Ephesians 4. So I'd like you to turn there, if you would. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll set it up. So Ephesians 4, uh, Paul's writing to relatively new believers He's talking to them about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and when he gets to the second half of chapter four, he gives them a long list of commands or instructions. As Christ followers, do this, don't do this. You know, uh, uh, you know get, deal with your anger. Don't, don't let anger destroy you. Uh, uh, do, deal with your bitterness. Learn to forgive one another. Just A series of commands. And in the, in, the, in the middle of this long list of commands, he gives us a very powerful statement about the way we approach our careers and our finances as Christ's followers. It's kind of revolutionary. And it's in verse uh, 28. So let's let's take a look at this. 428. So he says, uh, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. Now, this is kind of Christianity 101, isn't it? <laughs> uh, hey, you're a Christian now, knock it off. Just not, you know, just quit ripping people off. Uh I know you went to Beverly Hills last week. You scoped out some homes. I know that's how you used to make a living, but, but you're a Christian now. We don't do that. Okay. Would you agree with me? Pretty basic stuff. And so he says, uh, uh, he who steals must steal no longer, but he must work doing something useful with his hands. And so that's what we would expect you to tell a new believer, right? Hey, you're, you're a Christian. You used to rip thing people off. Don't, don't do that. Um, get a job. Work hard. Um, but it's the reason that Paul gives that's revolutionary. See, what I'd expect him to say is work, get a job, work hard, do something responsible so you can provide for yourself, right? You don't have to people. That's what I expect him to say. But that's not what he says. What he says is, uh, you must work doing something with your own hands that he may have something to what? Share. To share with those in what? In need. Cash, K- I'll say it again. You'll have something to share with those in need. Can you see how revolutionary is? This is a whole new paradigm, isn't it? This is like, why do, you go to job? why do you go to your job? Why do you work? I think most of us say, well, I need to make some money, right? Why? Just, I need to support myself, right? Paul says, no, you're a Christ follower now. Of course you're going to provide for yourself. Yeah, that's. What, but the reason you work is so you have something to share with those in need. Can you see how this is a whole different paradigm? Now, now for, the, for, for those of us who are Christ followers a long time, this is a very different paradigm, isn't it? Because we were brought up that you're a Christian now, and that means that the first 10% of your money goes to the Lord, right? That's your tithe. And, and we've learned about that in this series, that that is true, right? That percentage giving, regular, that's true. But what we were taught basically then is after that, how you spend is up to you. Just spend responsibly, right? And Paul comes and says, no, the reason God gave you a job is not just to provide for yourself, but to help you provide for those who are in need. Isn't that revolutionary? And this is amazing, amazing little verse. Um, It's powerful. Basically what Paul says, hey, there's three ways to approach making a living. You can steal to live, you can work to live, or you can work to give. Kind of a whole new, whole new approach. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? Now let me say this. I want to say this at some point in this message. So let me say it now. Right? When the Bible talks about giving to those in need, it's not talking about giving to the lazy. Right? <laughs> like, like the Bible has a word for lazy people. It calls them sluggards. Right? Very descriptive. And, and so, the Bible says the sluggards, they kind of get what they deserve, right? Uh, in 2 Thessalonians, it says if a man won't work, he shouldn't eat. Let him starve to death. You know, it's not, not your issue. Let the pain drive him to get his act together, okay? Uh, the Bible doesn't say help those out who are irresponsible and refuse to take wise counsel and keep on making bad decisions. <laughs> like, when you help out those kind of people, that's called enabling, right? It's the 11th commandment, thou shall not enable. right? Okay, so are, are we clear on this? When I talk about the poor today, I'm talking about those who cannot work for whatever reason and cannot support themselves. There's some legitimate reason, and Paul says, you're a Christian now. As a Christ follower, one of the reasons you work is so that you can help those in need. Now, like I've said, we've seen this a lot in our life groups here, haven't we? But can I tell you something? We will see it a lot more in the future. And the reason is because the Holy Spirit is on this church. And he is going to tutor us. And he is going to mentor us. And he's going to shape us. And he's going to create a culture of generosity. And as we do, we're going to love each other increasingly. And we're going to meet needs. Amen? Amen. All right. Okay, let's look at the second passage. The second passage is another paradigm buster. And it's in, uh, it's in James chapter 1. And so let's turn to James chapter 1. Now, James, of course, is the half-brother of Jesus. He becomes a key leader in the early church in Jerusalem. He also writes this little letter of James. Uh, Dave looked at it last week in his teaching. Very practical passage. And, and so in the book of James, he is going to define for us what, what he calls true religion. Now, I understand here that at Rocky Peak, when we use the word religion, we usually use it in a negative way. Like, like God's not called us to religion. He's not called us to rules. He's not called us to ritual. He's called us to relationship, right? And so we often talk about this. And, and so, but it's possible to use the word religion in a positive sense as as a as a, as a word to describe a true relationship with God. And so. In this passage, James is going to say, let me tell you what true relationship with God, what true religion looks like. And he's going to say that true religion looks like two things, okay? And so and one kind of fits our paradigm and one doesn't. And so here, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, true religion? We got we got two things. So James chapter 1 and verse 27. He says, religion that God our Father. So in other words, we're born again. Uh, we're Christ's followers. God's our Father. So Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, okay, nothing wrong with it, is this. He's going to miss two things. Number one is to look after orphans and widows in their distress, okay? First thing, now, in the Bible, the Bible often talks about orphans and widows. And, and the reason it does, they are sort of the Bible's prototype of the poor, okay? They're like the, they're like the case study This is kind of code for the poor. And the reason why is because in ancient times, there was no life insurance. And there were no social services. So when a man would die who's married and has a family that his wife and children were often not always because sometimes the people were rich but they were often left destitute because the wife often didn't have a trade or skill that she could support the family and, and there were no social services and so the 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 orphans and the widows were prototype for poor are you with me so what james says here is, is if you want to know what it means to be a christ follower there's two things that mark true religion the first is to love the poor orphans and widows and then he says the second is to keep oneself from being polluted by the world now we understand that one we understand that before we come to jesus we do our own thing and we often are polluted aren't we so, so we sleep around. We pollute ourselves sexually. Uh, we we lie to people. We pollute our integrity. Uh, we rip people off. Uh, we 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 gossip. We slander. We hold bitterness in our heart. Right? We're polluted. And so what James is saying is you're Christ followers now, and so you need to leave that life of pollution behind. Let's get the let's get the let's clean up the pollution. Let's get the stream of life flow crystal clear. Let's not drink polluted water. Let's live pure lives, right? So so let me let me here's my suggestion, that as American Christians we get number two. We may not always follow number two, but we get it. We get it. We're Christians now. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means I do the right thing. I, I stop being sexually immoral. I stop lying. I start cheating. I stop ripping people off. I, I stop holding bitterness against We get it, right? We, if, for anyone here, if I say, what does it mean to be a Christian or a Christ follower? My guess is that many of you would say, well, here's what it means. It means to be unpolluted. From, you wouldn't use that language, but you would describe that for me. I get that, okay? That's part of our paradigm. But my hunch is very few of us would hear, if I say, what does it mean to be a Christ follower, one of the first things that comes to your mind is, oh, we love the poor. Are you, are you with me Miss? this? That, that just does not even come into our, it's like, what? Love the poor? I mean, that'd be way down the list, you see? And yet James says it's one of the marks of true religion, a true relationship, you see? And, and so, so all through this series, the last couple of weeks, what I've been saying is that if we're going to follow Jesus, we need a new paradigm of what it means to be a Christian. Are you with me? And so, so Paul says part of that paradigm is the reason we work is so we can help the poor. James says, hey, true religion, one of the two marks, loving the poor. Now, a third passage gives us a window into the early church is in the little book of 1 John to the right in your Bibles, 1 John chapter 3. Now, John, John, of course, is one of the inner circle of the disciples of Jesus, probably his closest friend. You know, it's Peter, James, and John. He's the disciple Jesus loves. And and so he writes a gospel about Jesus, a story of his life, but he also writes three letters in the New Testament to churches that he's helping to lead. And so in this passage, uh, in in the book of 1 John, one of his big topics is what does it mean to be a Christ follower? How do you know if someone's truly born again? He says, well, there's three marks of a Christ follower. There's three marks, and one of the marks is that they love people. There's a new love for God. There's a new love for people. He says this is what happens when someone's born again. The, the Holy Spirit, the DNA of Jesus, enters their life, and, and one of the ways you can tell they're born again is they love. They love God. They love people. Okay? So in that context, he says in chapter 3 and verse 16, he says this is how we know what love is. Like, How, how do you know what true love is? This is how we know. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So the way you know what true love is, is that true love is actions, not just words. And there's and a particular kind of actions, it's sacrificial action. Like how do you know if someone loves you? You, you know it because they sacrifice for you, okay? And, and so then he says, and, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Well, what do you mean? gives an example. Well, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, okay, so they're in serious need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? So he says, hey, You're claiming to be a Christ follower. You're claiming to be born again. You're claiming the DNA of Jesus has come into you. Okay, well, I should see some love there. And so if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and that the love of God is in you, and yet there's someone in your fellowship, your body, who's really suffering, and and you see that, and, and you don't have any compassion for that, and you have the ability to help, and you don't help, how can you claim to have the DNA of Jesus in you? You see, that's his point. And then he goes on. And he says, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Okay? And so here's what we see as you study the New Testament. I wish we had more time. We'd spend some time on other verses. I know that because I cut some out. But, um, but what we see in the life of the New Testament is, is exactly what we've seen all through the Bible. That God has a vision for his people from the very beginning. We love, peop- we love God passionately. We love others compassionately. And that reveals itself in a love for the poor. So we we saw it in the nation of Israel. We saw it in the life and teaching of Jesus. Today we look at it in the life of of the early church. And so what we've seen, we step back from this series, is that if you're a Christ follower, that God is after you. And, And that God wants to create in your heart a heart of generosity. And as we've seen in this series, there's three major areas where the Holy Spirit will be leading you to grow in this. There's there's percentage giving, which is a regular systematic giving. We call that the tithe, to fund the movement of Jesus. There, There is giving to special projects that God will call us to at times to advance his kingdom. And then there is giving to the poor. And all three need to be part of our paradigm of what it means to be a passionate Christ follower. Now, as we, uh, as we begin to wrap up today, don't get your hopes up. It's going to be a while. Uh, <laughs> I said, as we begin to wrap up, all right? So as we begin to wrap up, uh, I, I want to give you your challenges for the day, right? So there in your note sheet, you have a section, two final challenges, microfinance and personal finance. Um, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know how this works. So the last few last weeks, was we've been teaching about the poor, that every week, I've given you an optional challenge, that, that if you want to grow in your love for the poor, I'm giving you an optional challenge, if you feel God's putting this on your heart, if he's leading you, that you would take this step, it be a small baby step, to help you grow in this area. And so I want to give you a quick update. This is just good news. Uh, first update, you, you know that about two or three weeks ago, as a church, we went on a water fast. And so what we did is... That we, we only drank water for a week, and, and we, t- we saved all the money we would have spent on beverages, and, and we brought it in, right? And so uh, that tally is now up to $24,000. Okay, so we got $24,000. So now I told you what we're going to do is we're going to take this money. We're going to give it to an organization called Living Waters International Christian Group, And what they do is they drill wells around the world for people who only have polluted water. They do it in the name of Christ to share the message of Jesus with them. And so, so I told you that their statistic is for every dollar we raise, they can provide fresh water for one year for one person. Amazing statistic, okay? And so, and so we were going to try to raise money. So, of course, they know we're doing this. And, and remember what I told you, that, that for, every, uh, for every, like a, a, for $10,000, they, they can dig what they call a deep hard rock well, okay? So... So they knew we were doing this, but they didn't know who Rocky Peak was. and They didn't know much about us, and we didn't make a big deal. and It was a last-minute thing. I called and said, hey, could you get us some stuff? And, and so they were just blown away when we told them, like, how much money, you know, had come in. And so they're, like, ecstatic. They're so excited. And so they're, like, emailing. They're leaving me long voicemail messages. They're just, like, like, they're just excited about this. And so the message this week is that because we raised so much money, that they were able to go to their their uh, their drillers in Ethiopia, which is where we asked to drill, and, and they were able to to do some hard bargaining, and for that twenty four thousand, we're going to get three deep water wells. Yes. <laughs> awesome. No. Okay, and there's more. No, uh, uh, and on top of that. Uh, here's the thing. They're going to give us uh, their exact locations of these wells. They're going to give us reports where the wells are being. They're going to give us pictures of the communities. And this is my favorite. They're going to give us GPS coordinates so we can Google Earth it and see <laughs> their well in action. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so, so that's number one. That's, all right, number two, uh, last week we did Children's Hunger Fund. And uh, and so a lot of you did that. You know, you get the box, you get the list of ingredients, you're supposed to fill it up, you bring it back. And so, so so this week, I mean, they're they're coming in. I don't know where we're at right now, but as of Saturday night, we had 950 boxes of food that's come in. So so this week, I emailed Fred Martin Jr., who's sitting back there. Hi, Fred, and uh, who works for Children's Hunger Fund. And I said, Fred, so so when you're figuring out how much it costs to do a box, you know, as an organization. Uh, how much do you do you figure? And and he said, well, you know, it varies because like if you go to the dollar store, you can get all the ingredients for about twenty dollars. If you go to Whole Foods, it's about thirty dollars. So uh, so we figure it's about twenty five dollars a box, and then you throw in five dollars uh, cash for the the distribution, so it's about thirty dollars a box. And so I'm like, wait, let me start doing the math here. Nine hundred and fifty boxes. That's twenty eight thousand five hundred dollars. That that of food that was purchased this week, right? So you put those two numbers together: the twenty-four thousand for the water, the twenty-eight thousand for the food, and in the last couple of weeks, we have raised fifty-two thousand dollars for the poor, right? So, so so are you with I mean, hey, these are baby steps, right? Like, what do we know about this? We are just starting off on this journey of generosity. They're baby steps, but can you see what can happen when as a church we begin to get a heart for the poor? Just baby steps, 52, that's like real money. <laughs> it's like, that's like real money to help people in, in real need. So, uh, in fact, I got an email this week. It was actually last week. It was right after the Children's Hunger Fund thing started. I am a guy, he's a great guy, and uh, he says, so today I went, uh, he says, here's a good one for you. Uh, today I went shopping for the items on the food packs. I went to Costco for the bulk of the items. However, the only packages of rice and pinto beans available there are about the size of a Volkswagen. (laughs) So it was off to Ralph's in Chatsworth for the required one-pound size. I had no trouble with the rice, but they were out of pinto beans. When I was checking out, the the, the checker asked me if I had found everything I was looking for, and I told them I did not retrieve the one-pound size of pinto beans I was looking for. He said, oh yeah, the church at Rocky Peak is doing some sort of food drive. And we've been sold out of pinos for a couple of days. We, we should have more by Wednesday. And I said, I'll be back. So my thought was, it's incredible that a young man at the checkout stand, a local grocery store, knew that something was going on at our church. My, my guess is that he'd sold lots of beans and rice since Sunday, and that people were telling about their quests for the items for the box. I can see moms and dads with their kids making a fun event out of this while instilling values in their children that will last them for life. Very cool. I think I've absorbed the message on generosity. I'm praying that we move on soon. <laughs> because each week we're digging deeper in our near empty pockets. We were reduced to eating lawn clippings this week. <laughs> However, I never want to second guess your teachings. <laughs> Gotta go now, I'm feeling faint. <laughs> uh, he signed off. Go, Rocky Peak. <laughs> Okay, so, I, so, so it is the last week, and, uh, and I do have two more challenges, right? Well, one's kind of global, one's more personal. So let me jump in the global one. Uh, I'd like to talk to you today about, about a global challenge involving an area called microfinance. Now, for some of you, probably familiar, probably most of you not, uh, microfinance takes in a lot of area, but the area we're focused on is one of the things that you do with microfinance is is that companies will make small loans, organizations will make small loans to poor people in third world country to help them get out of poverty. So the the problem the poor face in most of the world is there are no options. There are no options for them. And and so a person can't get out of poverty, you can't get the capital you need to start a business because uh, no one will loan to the poor and they have no uh, collateral. And so what these organizations do, and they they make small loans, and I'm talking small. It might be $150, $300, $700, so usually far under $1,000. You make this loan to a poor person to help them start a business. It it might be a woman buying her a sewing machine so that she could start a a clothing business. Uh, It might be... um, a small loan to a man to buy a couple bike bicycles to start a courier business. It could be to a shop owner to help advance a buy some more inventory. But the amazing things is these loans change these people's lives and the lives of their family forever. And so you, you've heard that old saying, right, that you, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. But you, you teach him how to fish, you feed him for a life, And so that's, that's the philosophy behind this. And, and so what, what happens is they come in, and this is amazing. The, these poor people they're working with, they're so destitutely poor. They, they're hard workers. They're bright people. They just don't have any uh, options. And so once, once the loans are made, these organizations tell us that less than 1% of these loans are defaulted on. And the beautiful thing is, once the loan is repaid, that that money can be recycled back into someone else, who now changes another life, it changes another life, change, and the stories are unbelievable. And the cool thing is there's a lot of Christians organizations who are doing this that are going in in the name of Christ and under the banner of Jesus, saying, we love you, we care, we want to help. And and so they not only provide the money, they provide training, business training, they provide accountability and support, and so the lives are being changed. And I want to give you a feel of how this works with a little bit more heart behind it. So we're going to watch like a five or six minute video, an organization called uh, Hope International. It's a Christian organization, and, and it's going to be profiling their work in Haiti, which is the poorest a country in, in, the, in our hemisphere, all right? So let's, uh, we'll cut the screen. Isn't that awesome? It's a really cool thing. And so, so here's challenge number one this week. Uh, what i want to do is I, I'd like to ask you to invest about 30, 45 minutes of your time. I'd like you to go online. There's a lot of Christian organizations that do this that are very reputable. Two that I'd like to introduce you to, first of all, I hope the, the webpage is on your note sheet. The second one is World Vision, much more uh, famous. The cool thing about the World Vision line, when you go on that site, you can actually choose a country of the world. You can choose a particular kind of business And what will happen will come up. It will come up actual real people, the faces there and so on, the kind of business that they want to start or expand, and and how much money it takes. It will kind of have a graph there, kind of a chart, how much it's 300, it's 750, how much has been coming so far. And and so you can just kind of educate yourself on this. And so what I'd like you to do, first of all, is just spend 30 minutes, 45 minutes on the web, and and listen to some of the videos, watch, kind of learn about what's going on in the world, right? Learn, Learn what Christ followers are doing around the world to help. Secondly, then, if you... You know, if you want to donate, you can donate there for as little as $25. The cool thing at the World Vision site, you can choose who you donate to, and once you've donated, you will get reports back from them as that business grows and expands on what God's doing. And so, so uh, I'll leave that up between you, know, between you and God on that the whole donation part. I just want to expand your mind, right? expand our heart for, for the world, what, what, what God's doing around the world. Now, second, uh, second challenge. This one's a little bit more personal. Uh, it won't apply to all of you. Um, but but for some of you, I, I'm sure it's got God's uh, it's got your name on it. Uh, it. It has to do with kind of getting your own personal financial house in order. Um, you know, as Christ's followers, uh, we've gone through this series this summer on generosity. I, I know that for many of us, God's just really touched our hearts, and we we want to give. We see things like this and man, I want to give. But the reality is for many of us, we can't give because our own financial house is not where we want it to be. It's not in order. We've either never had training. It's something we've always known we need to do. We've just never done. And so what I want to invite you to is this fifth essential that we're kicking off a week from Tuesday night on financial freedom. And I just want to tell you a little bit about this. You know, from the very beginning, when we, with these, the idea of these essentials is that there's certain areas of following Jesus that are so essential to following him well, that that if we don't learn this area, we'll never follow him well. And so at the very beginning, as we prayed and thought through, we came up with eight or ten of those. We thought, these are the ones that we're going to focus on. We're calling them essentials. And so we're we're, we're releasing our fifth one. And from the very beginning, one of those essentials has always been finances. Because you know what Jesus taught. We've learned in this series that this is an area of spiritual tests in our life. And, and, he, and Jesus said, if we're faithful in little, talking about finances, we'll be faithful in much. And he said, if, if you've not been, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, he said, how, why will God trust you with true riches? And, and so as a church, we want to learn how to manage our money well, and, and not just giving, but making, spending, investing, uh, future, and so on, whatever, you know, the, all the areas. And so that's why we're introducing this course. Now, I'm sure that for some of you, God has different plans for you this fall. He's called you to something else. I get that. I'm not trying to twist anyone's arm to get in this call. What I'm saying is there's some of you here that, that God's probably been just kind of the back burner of your life. Like, I need to take that course. I need to take it. Just, but, oh, but it's the time. It's the money. It's, well, you know, it's there. It's busy. Whatever. And, and if that's you and God's speaking to you about that, I just want to encourage you to, to join it. It's a fantastic course. I've gone through it. Uh, very excited about it. Made some changes in our, in our own life about the way we're doing things about it. And so I'll be hosting that, but it's just great material, all right? So that's, that's your second thing. Now, um, if you want to sign up for that, today is the last day. We've been advertising that for weeks. You can go online. You can sign up online. If you get online, you don't or you don't have a computer. You don't know how to do it. You can call until tomorrow at noon. We're going to hold it. We're going to kind of push the, the deadline tomorrow at noon. But after that, it's it's closed. All right. So that's challenge number two. Now, uh, as we wrap up the series, there on your note sheet, you have one final section. And it's called The Journey of Generosity, the final chapter. And, and so it's, it's hard to believe we're coming to the end of this. It's been an amazing two and a half months. But one of the things I told you early on um, is that when we talk about generosity, we talk about our finances, that ultimately it's not a financial issue, that ultimately this is a spiritual issue. Because Jesus said that no man can serve two masters. That every one of us, sooner or later as a Christ follower, we have to decide... Do do are we going to take control of our finances or we give control to God? Like, like who owns it? Who is God in my life? Is God, God is my finances. And so so many of you have taken that step this summer of kind of surrendering all that you are, all that you have to him. And, and I believe that, that this is really not the, the end of our journey of generosity. It's, it's really not the final chapter. It's the final chapter of this series, but it's the opening chapter of this this teaching as a church, of as, as this lesson that we're beginning. And my prayer is that God will continue to lead us as a church in the coming months and years that he will begin to unpack for us what does it mean to be followers of Jesus in this area. And uh, I want to end today with a quote. The quote is from, from Bill Hybels. A lot of you have heard of Bill. He's a famous pastor for the Midwest, one of the largest, most influential churches in our country, but about 10 or 15 years, I was listening to a message he was doing on, uh, on, on coveting, on, on the Ten Commandments. And he, he talked about this, about one of the key issues that we face as new believers in Christ is surrendering our finances to God and, and what happens when we do. And, and so I want to end with this, this quote uh, as a way of wrapping up this series. Just follow along. And he says, and so, so God says, and of course, he's talking to a new believer here. So God says, uh, about your resources, your financial resources, you offer them up to me. So as a, as a new Christ follows, what we do. All we are, all we have, God, is yours. You offered them up to me, and I will assume full control of your resources. All of them from now on. And that relieves a lot of anxiety for new believers, the fact that all of our resources are under God's control, that he's ultimately responsible for them. And so God says, now I want you to manage the day-to-day operations of these resources, but only under my supervision. I'm in control. And the believer says, I wouldn't have it any other way. You're my God. You're my Lord. Yeah, I want to trust you with this. And so God says, all right, now that I'm in control, I'm supervising. And, and Bill's going to be going to talk about these three kinds of giving. We've talked about three kinds of generosity in, the, in, this, in this series. All right, now that I'm in control, I'm supervising, and you're just managing. Here's my first request. My first request is that you take the first 10% of all you earn, and you give it to the church you belong to. So we've talked about that, right, percentage giving, the tie." Is do you understand? Is that complicated? Can I trust you to do that? That's my first request. And then, after you've demonstrated faithfulness in this small matter, remember what Jesus said faithful in little, you're faithful in much, then it's going to qualify you to move on to the adventure of resource management that I'm going to lead you on for the rest of your life. I'm going to involve you in some spine tingling tales of giving and receiving, of divesting and investing. I'm going to have you give money to some fascinating projects. Remember we talked about the second kind of giving, project giving. And some unlikely people. And then I'm going to flow resources back into your life. I'm going to reward you so you can continue the process. We learned that in 2 Corinthians 9. And I'm going to involve you in some daring rescues. So the third kind of giving, we talk about giving to the needy, the poor, the daring rescues, and and some fantastic answers to prayer. And so, so this is the adventure that, that I believe God's calling us to as a church. He's calling you. He's calling me. That all we have, all, all we own belongs to him. That we would, we, would, we would use it under his leadership. And that as we do that, that he would release a culture of generosity in our lives, in our church. And that most importantly, we would become like the one we follow. Key verse of this series, right? That he who is poor, uh, he was rich, became poor that through his poverty we might become rich. Amen. Amen. God bless. Let's let's pray. Father, we just pray that uh, you would continue this work that you've started in our church this summer. That you would release a culture of generosity, whether it's in our, our regular giving to fund your movement, percentage giving, whether it's in special projects you call us to, whether it's in giving to the poor, that, that we would embrace a paradigm of generosity, that we would truly become like you, that you would, you would change our heart from the inside out, that we would become men and women who, who really are like you, that, that are, 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 are givers, hilarious givers, God, that we live to give. And we pray this in your name, amen. The love tear down these walls that all creation may come back to you, for it's all for you. And that's the, the battle cry of this church, isn't it? That, that love would tear down the walls that all creation might come back. That, that's what we're a part of. That's what it means part of the movement of Jesus, to bring all things in heaven and earth under the lordship of Jesus, that, that he would be recognized in worship and receive the glory he deserves. That's what this church is about. You know, last night, as we were singing that final song, I was ready to come up and usually I don't really kind of plan out the final comments, you just kind of, kind of go with what comes. And, and last night, as I, was, as I was walking up the stairs, you know what came is those words of Jesus where he said that, that you are the salt of the earth. Not, not someone else, Rocky Peak, you. <laughs> you are the salt of the earth. That you are the light of the world. And then he goes on to say, so let your light shine before men, that they may see your good what? Yeah, works, right? That they they may see your good works. That they may see your good works. Catch this. Not words, but Works. I, I, I believe this, that so the church in America, I can't speak for the church all over the world, I don't know the church all over the world. The church in America is sick of followers of Jesus that are all words. They're, they're looking for people who believe they found the answer to life and they demonstrate it by living it out by their works. And, and one of the most important works that he's given us to do is loving the poor. Amen? And so, so may God continue to release a culture of generosity here. May he touch your heart. And may he touch my heart. And may he break our hearts for what breaks his. That, that we would be known as a church. It's not a love in words, but of love in deeds and actions. Amen? Amen. May the Lord bless you this week. May he release a culture of generosity in your heart and through your life. Hope you can be with us next week. Uh, It's a very, very special weekend. A special message. uh, Kind of a standalone message. What does it mean to go deep in our relationship with God? What does it mean to go deep as a church? Special application will be, what does it mean to go deep as a church this year in our life groups? What does it mean to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers in our life groups, right? Because we're kicking off life groups next week. Very important message for us as we enter the fall, as we take the next step of our journey. Of course, we'll be doing baptisms. So if you're a follower of Jesus, have not been baptized, you know what to do. And, And we'll be celebrating new birth next week as people enter into the water with Jesus and and give their lives to him publicly and follow. This is a very special service. So until that time, may God be with you and lead you every step of your week this week. God bless. Well, that's gonna do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.